Hey, Digitally China is produced together with our friends at Radii, this awesome independent media platform. If you're interested in culture and innovation in China, you should definitely check out RadioChina.com. They'll give you an inside look into everything from China's underground music scene to bike sharing. That's R-A-D-I-I-China.com. If one were to close one's eyes and imagine the future of Pindodo would be a mix of Costco and Disneyland. Uh, I want to discuss which gears about Pinduoduo because it certainly had a great first day uh, on its listing there in the U.S. 40% pop on its debut. A 35-month-old company go to public markets in U.S. and uh, have a valuation north of 30 billion dollars. This is truly historic. It's really interesting. I mean,、uh, you talked about WeChat that's、mm-hmm. got a billion users. Alibaba has got 600 million users. You've got the gap of 400 million.、Mm-hmm. It's enough to build a very successful business, right? And yeah. Welcome to this special episode of Digitally China. This time, instead of Eva, I have our producer with me here today. Hey, Jacob. Hey, pleasure to be here. So maybe you can tell our listeners what's so special with this episode. Well, yeah, we did this、uh, conference last week、uh, called D Congress in Gothenburg in Sweden, and for the conference we flew in some really cool guests.、Uh, obviously, we're a podcast, so we recorded that session, and that's what this episode is going to be about. Welcome to Digitally China, a podcast about the fascinating Chinese, Chinese tech industry. industry created together with Radii. I'm Eva. I'm Jacob. And I'm Tom. So, according to various studies, China's gaming industry is now, in fact, the largest in the world. You may know their messaging app called WeChat. Chinese outbound M&A. Chinese corporates are buying international、yeah. companies at record pace. The hottest phone you've probably never heard of. China's Xiaomi. Yes, it's state. It's claim to Apple's crown. Major deal over in China. You have Chinese tech giant Tencent leading an 8.6 billion dollar acquisition to buy a major stake in Supercell. 14.3 billion dollars in sales bought by a Chinese e-commerce site in one wild day. Yeah, so on stage in front of more than two thousand people at one of the largest e-commerce conferences in Europe, we got some really nice insights about topics such as social commerce, where the e-commerce market is headed, both in China and in West. So we had Shen Yi Wu there, who were the CFO of Pinduoduo. The very recent large unicorn success that IPO'd in New York, and he before that he was actually also CFO of Xiaohongshu or Red, also a social e-commerce unicorn. Next to him were Julie Chen, who were investment manager at Sequoia China before, and together they run a startup called Flamingo, which is a new social commerce startup targeting the Western consumer based on the high quality supply chain that exists in China. And on top of that, we had. Ting Ting Fang, who is the brand director of a company called Judy Doll, kind of a new generation of cosmetics company, obviously leveraging a lot of the social channels to、uh, sell their product and to market their product. As the main topic of the day was social commerce, that's obviously where we started, specifically about the success of Pinduoduo and why it changed how e-commerce in China worked and proved that e-commerce actually has a 3.0 after Alibaba. 
Yeah, and here one of our guests, Shen Yi, made a really good point about the difference between the West and China. Uh, you know, e-commerce in China is a different business. It's not just a transaction business. People think of it as more, uh, more an engagement business, first and foremost. And then it's an engagement platform where you transact. Because yeah, it's mostly mobile. So you look at the daily active user as a percent of monthly active user as a proxy for how active people are, mm-hmm. how frequently they come back. And you look at minutes of use. It's something you want to make longer, not shorter. And all of those things are, at least when you compare it to the U.S., it's very different. Because in the U.S., you look at Amazon and eBay. They want to shorten the time you spend on the platform. You come, you search, you find it, you pay for it, you get out. The thing yeah. comes uh, really quickly. That's the mindset you have for the e-commerce platforms. What you get is top SKUs keep selling well because those are the things people know about and those are the things they search for and those are the things since they get so much order and volume will show up first and then you end up getting very low gross profit. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you sell um, top SKUs, it's hard to make money. When you start to sell medium to longer SKUs, you start making money. Mm -hmm. And so the China e-commerce philosophy is the opposite. You know, they want to uh, make people spend time They want people to browse and discover and learn about the new brands. And that's where you start making money. We also got a really good explanation to why this gaming component is so critical when it comes to companies such as Pinduoduo. Typically, uh, a media app, if you look at Facebook or Instagram, the DAU divided by MAU ratio is usually called 70%. Mm -hmm. Meaning, you know, 30 days a month, 20 days, you would open Facebook. Uh, typically, an e-commerce app, it's 16%. Because every time you open, you have to spend money. So <laughs> be careful. Now, don't open it too much. But the way uh, you call them back is, you know, if like in Alibaba case, if that's the go-to destination, whatever you need, it's like the Google for shopping, then you open it more. Mm-hmm. Or in the more startup-y world, you just create other uh, content or games that call people back. It's like if you show up seven days in a row, you'll get a basket of fruit uh, in the mail uh, at the end of the seventh day. Like uh, a real basket of fruit. A real basket of fruit. <laughs> yeah. Not just a virtual fruit. <laughs> uh, uh, but that's like a, a way to get the frequency, get yeah. people to come back frequently, uh, get them to show up. And that gives you more opportunities to show them more products and new brands and opportunities to discover new things to buy. But um, why do people play it? Except for getting free fruit, do they can yeah. get discounts or do they get something else? Yeah, so in the process, um, you know, now there's a new game, it's kind of like Candy Crush, but with like products. So like you do play that, you get discounts mm-hmm. uh, and there's a and social element to it too. You know, you can water other people's plants for them, like your friends and sort of help each other. And that just creates uh, even higher stickiness for the platform. Of course, social commerce is a much larger topic than only one company, such as Pinduoduo, even though they probably are the market leaders. And we actually asked Julie about what social commerce actually is right now, considering it's been a term that's been used for many years, both in China and in the West. I think Red did a great job in terms of exploring social e-commerce, but I can't say that they already figured that out yet. They're still on the road to figure out that social e-commerce. And I think PDD has really surprised the whole investment world by using the gamification approach with that social features that can actually 
works so well in the e-commerce platform. So it's, it's not in terms of like content, but have the social feature with contents to make it work in the e-commerce uh, space. It's yeah. rather using the gamifications to make the social feature work in the e-commerce space. Yeah, I think Julia had a point. I mean, we were all super surprised that the new e-commerce giant could come in here and grab market share from, you know, Alibaba and JD. We thought the market was one, you know. What's exciting with all of this is that social e-commerce proves that people still want to buy stuff. But whenever you open kind of a door into e-commerce through other channels, such as social via either WeChat or Red or let's say TikTok or Douyin, then, you know, it can actually enable you as a startup to grab market share even from the largest imaginable companies out there, you know, without needing to spend a lot of marketing money and compete directly with, for example, Alibaba with their core products. And I think also what's interesting is that we've seen this been going on uh, on social media, uh, especially in, in China. Um, we, we talked earlier uh, about uh, Weishang, right? Mm -hmm. um, where people actually are selling goods. Uh, people who are skilled at creating followers and having a conversation with their followers. Mm -hmm. They started up their businesses, they're selling goods. So my point is um, the actual behavior of people discovering things in social media isn't new. We've discovered news and, you know, a lot of other stuff in social media for a long time. This is just applied on products. And what's also interesting is that instead of it being uh, a Wei Shang kind of phenomena where you see all these different, very small dealers uh, hustling around WeChat, we see now kind of a cluster throughout the company actually leveraging on this new kind of behavior. Yeah, and if we make a comparison to the West, it can either be really big or really small, but essentially Essentially, the main difference is that the social media channels have a tighter integration with apps that can enable e-commerce. Because like a normal reaction to one listening to about Chinese social e-commerce is that oh, that exists in the West as well. I see ads on Instagram all the time about products that I can tap and buy. But it's way more than that. Um, and the, the buying experience isn't as integrated in Instagram as it is in, for example, either the WeChat experience or the Red experience. On top of that, the e-commerce players selling the products by through the ads on Instagram aren't really leveraging the social graph and gamifying the entire process to make people invite their friends as part of the experience. I think, yes, um, we knew that uh, gaming and social was a, uh, a very powerful combination, right? So I think that's also what's so fascinating about this, actually adding that gaming component to this to create the stickiness. Then, obviously, there might be a very localized in terms of uh, this being China. It's not necessarily just completely transferable over to a Western market, but certain things such as creating stickiness through gamification of an experience and so on, I think still is a very plausible scenario in the West. And during the panel at the conference, Shen actually made a really insightful comment about how social commerce is different versus traditional e-commerce. You know, social commerce works a little different from uh, traditional, like Alibaba commerce. Mm -hmm. The way it works is, you know, people send products around uh, among friends, 
and then they buy them together, they get some kind of discount, or you know, there are special ways to aggregate traffic to certain SKUs, yeah. mm -hmm. and they generate a lot of orders on that day when they are getting the, these promotions. This allows you to uh, work closer uh, with the manufacturers. So the way manufacturers are going to say, I can make these pillow sets. Typically, we sell them for $30. Today, we sell them for 15 But we need to get 3,000 orders that day. Yeah. Like a deal like that gets sent around. Because something you typically pay $30 for, uh, now it's 15 It's news. People share it. Yeah. Yeah. And people join on the deal. Uh, but on the back end, the factory is going to get the order for 3,000 orders. Then they're going to make it that night. And the second day, they're going to ship it. Um, but the back end is all based on fast, uh, uh, fast uh, supply chain. Because without that, like, you can't always sell a product at a, at a loss. Yeah. Right? Like the, the, but where you're making the, the savings is you, with large orders for specific SKUs, you can work, you can skip the, the retailers, the wholesaler, tier one, the wholesalers, tier two wholesaler, you can go straight to the, to the manufacturers. That's where you get the savings. Really insightful to listen to two people that both got huge experience from the West, but also worked directly with these very successful social e-commerce and e-commerce companies in China. And we'll actually return to their thoughts about how the West will change, inspired by the Chinese social e-commerce market, and also how their startup, Flamingo, is gonna tackle the problem and hopefully win this social e-commerce game outside China. And uh, another topic that we were fortunate enough to discuss during the conference was the new generation of companies that we see popping up in China. And we had Ting Ting Fang there, who represents Judy Doll, uh, a company that is, you know, taking on the giants, such as L'Oreal. So I work with a young Chinese local cosmetic brand called Judy Doll. Um, it is targeting the Chinese Generation Z, so no longer the millennials, they're out. Um, and then we're specializing in uh, color shades. A lot of, uh, so we have, for eyeshadows, we have more than 200 different colors. And then for blush, we have more than 20, and then uh, a few other categories. We're also very specializing in extensive range of colors. So you probably wouldn't have heard of this brand, but we are actually indeed one of the most fast-growing brands in general in China. I saw some data that actually in the category of um, Eyeshadow yeah. and blush, uh, you you surpassed L'Oreal, you know, and all. Yeah, the like many other international brands, actually. Uh, so in both categories, blush and eyeshadow, we have the biggest market share. We are the number one bestseller across all e-commerce platforms, and then the recent number actually shows that the highlight, uh, the highlighters also are coming up as number one very soon. So if we collect all three of them, so we can say Judy Doll has dominated all the color powder industry in China in one year and a half. So Judy Doll is a really fascinating case of a company that actually surpassed uh, you know, the L'Oreal's of the world by uh, first having a really good product, but also really leveraging uh, the kind of new trends that we see in social. And uh, as Ting Ting mentioned, they're, they're using Douqing as one of their main channels for actually surpassing a lot of the established players. 
So, yeah, and she actually disclosed a little bit more about the details on how a brand such as Julia Doll actually works uh, around KOLs to kind of, kind of create this customer demand. So basically it's similar to Musical.ly that um, you can follow a influencer on TikTok, China, and then uh, they have you know, a bunch of videos that they produce themselves. And then uh, most likely it's gonna be a beauty tutorial. And then you'll see the whole thing and then you'll be able to click on it and then buy immediately whichever she's recommending or whichever beauty products she is using from this clip. So it's a pretty uh, complete consumer journey from getting people desire or getting people introduced on the new products or uh, the recommended products and then you get them to make a purchase immediately by um, throughout this kind of social commerce. Studying brands like this, how they work with the TikTok of China and integrate that with their products and their brand and their e-commerce is really critical right now. And that, that's why we're talking about it because TikTok also owns hundreds of millions of users in the West, but they haven't launched all of these features that already exist in China. And we've seen a lot of interest for this topic, obviously, considering that a lot of brands want to understand what's going to happen in their home market whenever TikTok is going to launch the same features. And we've actually discussed this in detail, both in the episode about Weishang and social commerce, but also the episode about TikTok that we published a few months ago. And one of the last topics that we uh, briefly discussed was kind of what we should be expecting now in the coming future of, uh, of development, uh, not only in China, but mainly in the West. Yeah, and to repeat what Shen Yi said earlier, I mean, it's pretty apparent that e-commerce has kind of taken the next step from this search-focused experience that already exists in the West. And it's also very apparent that the reasons why it works are not China-specific. With the base of Facebook Messenger, Instagram, etc., etc., in the West, there are actually a lot of opportunities there for social e-commerce to become as strong there as in China. The only question is, who will grasp those opportunities? Are we going to see Amazon get into the field? Or will a new startup come and grab market share the way that Pinduoduo did in China? So we actually talked a little bit about this potential future from the perspective of Flamingo, the startup that Shen Yi and Julie run. It's, it's really interesting. I mean, uh, they said uh, you talked about WeChat. That's mm -hmm. got a billion users. Alibaba has got 600 million users. You've got the gap of 400 million. Mm -hmm. It's enough to build a very successful business, yeah. uh, uh, right? Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, uh, um, um, and we see that you know Facebook has got uh, you know billions of users. Mm -hmm. Amazon way less than that, uh, and the gap uh, will uh, provide the opportunity to build a big business. And I think on top of that, because Amazon is so focused on um, search experience, uh, less than. Um, browse, mm -hmm. it uh, uh, gives opportunities to build a business on medium to longer tail products yeah. uh, that, that are more on discover based, not on, on search. Basically, there's uh, a lot of traffic that are in, the, in social that are not used for uh, e-commerce purposes. Mm -hmm. uh, and these uh, business examples uh, give us ideas on you know, how to use that traffic also for commerce. Because when Julie was 
uh, walking through the business model, I think, right? Like the biggest question in your mind is how do you get people to try it for the first time? Because I'm a big believer if they try it for the first time, they're going to try it again. Yeah. How do you get them to try it for the first time? But we believe some of the, the, the social element uh, will lower the bar for people to try it for the first time. I think one of the main questions here is kind of looking at the components behind what has enabled social commerce to become this big in China. And like, to be honest, there are certain hurdles today. We don't see the social media ecosystems being as integrated as, you know, for example, WeChat. And second, I think even if you talk to Pinduoduo, they're very open about you know how mobile payments and that being integrated into uh, these kinds of platforms, how that actually also was an enabler uh, for for Pinduoduo's success. So I think uh, what's interesting to reflect upon is how big are these hurdles in the West, and and how close are we to overcome them. So what do you think? So besides the uh, development of the ecosystem and the payments part, like what other hurdles are there for uh, the Western ecosystem to develop in the same direction? Honestly, I don't see a lot of hurdles out there more than what you mentioned, Jacob. I mean, of course, outside China, the behavior in social, whether it is Instagram or Facebook Messenger, are very different from country to country. And, you know, for a startup that wants to take over the world, maybe that is, you know, that is technically a hurdle that they got to focus on a single market first, execute very well. And then the question is whether, you know, they can copy paste that into the next market. But what we do know is that social channels in the West have hundreds of millions of users that currently today are not realized in terms of their e-commerce potential. And what we also do know is that a lot of very skilled entrepreneurs, very well-educated and understand the Western world almost as good as the Chinese world, have seen the success of Pinduoduo, have seen how you through social e-commerce can really change the dynamics of the market where you thought Alibaba already won everything. And based on that thesis, I think a lot of these teams right now are thinking hard about this problem and how to actually, through social e-commerce, create the next e-commerce unicorn outside China and actually have the potential to disrupt Amazon. So thank you very much for listening to this special episode of Digitally China. We hope you find these topics as fascinating as we do. And as always, if you have any feedback or questions, just reach out to us. We're more than happy to get back to you. 